And, uh, and Jesus arrives, and Martha opens the door, and, and there's others that are there, and so the obvious thing to do is to go and prepare supper. The obvious thing to do is to go and make sure everything is in order for the guests that have arrived. Hospitality is incredibly important in the biblical story and in these days, and and uh, and so it was expected that the lady, that the women would go out and prepare and come and bring the bring the food in. But as Martha is in distracted by all of the tasks that she has to perform, she realizes that Mary isn't there and walks out into the room and sees Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus. And she is so cross. And she says, Jesus, what? Don't you care that she's doing nothing and left me by myself? And I know many of you are familiar with this, with this story, but I just love what Jesus is doing. I love that Jesus is breaking down every cultural boundary. He is breaking down every gender boundary. So in this patriarchal society, Jesus is, Jesus is making a point here. This is huge, this moment. Jesus is breaking down a gender boundary. And actually, it just goes beyond anything culturally that, that would be accepted in those days. And Jesus, in this moment, breaks down those cultural boundaries as well. And she makes a statement, Lord, don't you care that Mary has left me to work all by myself? Tell her to come and help me. And, and it's just this, it's just this words of Jesus that caught my heart this, at the start of this week. Mary has chosen what is better. Some of your versions might say Mary has chosen what is necessary. In fact, I prefer that version. Mary has chosen what is necessary. And I say all of that by way of introduction this morning because I want to say that Jesus will always prioritize relationship. Jesus will always prioritize relationship. And so let's do a bit of a, a, bit of a pop quiz here. First week, as we've been asking this question, who is Jesus? I took week number one, so I'll be deeply offended if anybody forgets. Jesus is... Nobody? Are you serious? Grace? Oh, thank you. Three people. These were the three that listened to it in SoundCloud. Thank you. God bless you. Uh, week number two was David, and he did Jesus is. David, you're in a loud answer. Jesus is. Thank you. Amy was last week. Jesus is. Normal. Now, there was more, a bit more voices that time. Short-term memory. Three weeks was too long ago to remember. Uh, and this week, we, I want to, I in answering this question, who is Jesus, I want to say that Jesus is friend. He will always prioritize relationship. And there's so many places. In fact, as even this morning, I thought to myself, we could literally go on weeks and weeks looking at this, looking at this topic. Because as we go right back into the Old Testament, I, I believe, and you don't have to agree with me, but I believe even in Genesis 3, verse 8, where it talks about Jesus came in the cool of the day, walking in the cool of the day, and Adam and Eve were nowhere to be seen. They'd taken of the fruit and they were hiding because they were naked. They were hiding because for the first time they'd felt shame. But I think, that, I think this walking in the cool of the day was just this relationship that he'd always intended for us, this, this deep friendship that he'd always intended for us to walk in. And I think that, that from Genesis 3, from that moment to Revelation, 
And right, right till now, Jesus has, been, Jesus has been redeeming that relationship that was broken. He's came to, 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 to reconcile that relationship that was severed, and he will always prioritize relationship. We're told of Moses. I love what it says of, of Moses in Exodus 33. It says that Moses spoke face to face with God as you would with a friend. This beautiful friendship, this beautiful heart that God had to, to reconcile that relationship, to restore that friendship with his people, with humanity, with the nations. And we see it in Abraham. Abraham, uh, incredible character, but it's told of him in, as James speaks of him in James chapter 2, I think it is, that uh, the Abraham, he was called the friend of God. And I just think that Jesus, and I think as, we, as I just wanted to introduce that story to remind you that Mary had chosen what is necessary because that was the heart of Jesus. That was his heart. That's where we would find ourselves at his feet, face to face, restoring of relationship, restoring of friendship. That's what is necessary. That's what is better. And as I said right at the beginning, we are wanting these weeks that we have in this place just to continue to speak of Jesus. And I find that it's incredibly difficult because he is so much, he is so much greater. He is so, he is so much nicer and kinder and gracious and merciful and loving than we could ever possibly imagine, than we could ever possibly articulate. We're doing our best, but he's even what we, even our attempt this morning is it is nothing in comparison to how loving he is, to how good he is, to how kind he is, to how he is for you. And in John chapter 1, I just love the language that Eugene Peterson uses, that Jesus, he took on flesh and he moved into the neighborhood. He became incarnate. This is stunning. He came and he moved into the neighborhood. He took on our flesh, became tempted as we are yet without sin. He moved and he lived among us. And grace and truth came through him as John goes on in, in verse 18 of that first chapter. Grace and truth came through him and he was here. He was here to restore that relationship. He was here to restore friendship. And this is good news for everyone. This is good news for us all. It's good news for every one of you that's in this room today, but it is good news for Rich Hill. It is good news for this county. It is good news for this nation. It is good news for the nations that Jesus wants to restore relationship. He wants to remind people that his priority is always relationship. He'll always prioritize it. And we watch his life. His life backs that up. How he lived among us backs that up. And so there's three or four places that I want to take us this morning. Um, and the first place I'd love us to, to, to go to, the first place I'd love to look at is uh, John chapter 15. And I want to read these, these three verses in John 15. Greater love has no man than this that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. And I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. 
Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. It's really hard not to read all of John 15 because it is a it is a most wonderful chapter. But here in these three verses, we we get an insight into the reality that this is good news for everyone. Because here is one that is revealing the love that he has for his friends. Greater love. He laid down his life. He laid down his life. And this, this beautiful picture of restoring relationship, of restoring friendship, is here on display in these, in these few verses. And I almost found myself yesterday as I thought about Wanting to, wanting to go to these few verses, almost wanting to ignore John, the verse 14. You are my friends if you do what I command. And so I, because I started to think, well, I, I cannot imagine being friends with somebody who said, Neil, I, uh, I am going to be friends with you only if you do everything that I tell you to do. It seems like a strange foundation for a friendship. But I think it's really important, this verse, actually. I think it's really important for us to acknowledge that as much as he came to restore relationship and as much as he came to restore friendship, he is Lord. And the relationship is not of co-equals. And he's not our, and, his, and sometimes this can become, feels like in certain circles, this idea can become really popular that Jesus is my buddy. Jesus is my frat boy or whatever American terms I uh, can't think of anything. In the, we don't have any of those cool terms here in, the, in Northern Ireland. But like Jesus is, Jesus is my pal. Me and Jesus hang out. There's just something in me just like cringes a wee bit because the relationship is not co-equal. And I hope this, it, it doesn't feel contradictory because I think when Jesus says, do everything, if you're my friends, if you do what I command, he said, listen guys, I know. I know the way, the truth, and the life because it's me, I am. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I know what is best for you. I know what will cause you to flourish. I know if you walk this way. I know if you follow the things that I'm saying to you, if you follow the lifestyle that I've called you to, if you choose the things that that I'm inviting you to choose, that's what's best. And I know. I know what makes you tick. I know the things that that meet the desires of your heart. I know the things that will cause you to flourish and come alive. And so do what I say. Do what I command. Follow my ways. Follow my truth. Follow the things that I have called you to do. And so for me, it is not shocking that, that Jesus says, if, you want to be, if you're going to be my friends, you need to do what I command. For me, it is shocking that, that the Lord of all the earth, that the King of kings would call me friend. That's what's shocking. That's what's stunning. Nothing else should surprise. Nothing else should, should cause us to stand back from this verse but the fact that he said that he wants, that he calls us friends. He does not dismiss his role as Lord. But he says here, and, and I think how he lives out his life, that this is not a master-servant relationship. This is not a master-servant relationship because I'm including you. I'm, in, I'm including you in this. 
and everything that I've learned from the Father, I am making it known to you. Everything I've learned, I've made known to you, is what Jesus said. There is no secrets. He is not withholding. He is not, he is not saying that I'm Lord and there's only a certain level that you can get to. He's calling us friends. And in doing that, in doing that, he's, he's reminding us he's not keeping any secrets. This is all, this is all for you. You're invited in on all that has been revealed from him. You're invited in on that. I'm including you in this. I'm making it known. I'm not hiding. And I, and I just feel that I think some of you need to know that he's not keeping you at a distance. He's not keeping you at a distance. If you sense that this morning, if you sense that, that distance, that breakdown in relationship, if you sense this language of friendship is so alien to your experience, I want to suggest to you that he is not keeping his distance from you. I just love that the Holy Spirit would do something in our hearts because if, it's, if we can say with certainty that he is not keeping you at a distance, you have begin, began to drift, you have began to push him, you have began to retreat. He's not keeping you at a distance. Jesse, he's not keeping you at a distance. Veronica, he's not keeping you at a distance. Johnny, he's not keeping you at a distance. No secrets. It's not that he wants to hold him back. Everything he's known, he wants to make it known to you and through you. The Holy Spirit in this moment. Paul, he's not keeping you at a distance. Bridget, he's not keeping you at a distance. There's nothing he wants to withhold. This is the pattern that he that he maintained even with the most unlikely. He let people belong. He refused to keep even the most immoral, even the most unlikely at a distance. He refused to do that. He let people belong before they behaved. He let them belong before they believed. And that's what a good friend does. That's what a good friend does, and it's why Jesus is called a friend of sinners. Can somebody get me a tissue? This is going to get messy. He had, uh, he had no rating. He had no rating system for sinners. I know sometimes asking for feedback is a is a challenging thing, but I don't want to be on my own here. Are you with me? 
anybody tracking with me here? with some dignity he had no rating system for sinners the thing that the thing that, that I am personally challenged about more than anything these days is that how often I can be a harsher judge than Jesus is and, I, and as again as I get as I just get as I just get caught by him over and over again, I see that he didn't have the rating system that we have. He didn't have the harsh language and the harsh critique that we often have. I'm just so challenged by that. And I invite you to be challenged by how you speak of those that, even those whose lifestyles you question, those whose morals you, you are really upset by and I'm not saying that we ignore that or there's not some conversation or there's not something that we have to do but I'm but I'm wanting to look at Jesus I'm wanting to do what he did I'm wanting to be his friend and in doing what he did I see how he engaged with the most disreputable characters those with such poor reputation, those that everybody would have whispered about, those that everybody would have avoided. Jesus was called a friend of sinners because that's where he so often found himself. And one of the points, one of the points during the the weekend on the Friday night, I just it was just a it was just a time. That I almost find it hard to pick out the one big highlight, but there was just these wee stunning moments that were littered throughout the two days. And Jasper Rutherford got up to to share, and, and Jasper's done an incredible amount of work and research down in down in the south, across the Republic of Ireland, done this research and the perception of the church and um, young people's. Uh, comments on why they've left the church and why they wouldn't go to church and extensive, extensive research. Now, if anybody's interested, there is a book with all this research. But one of the things that, that Jasper shared and one of the things that, that, that just continues to break Jasper's heart is that young people, but especially young people, have ended up mistrusting the goodness and the kindness and the grace and the forgiveness of a loving God. They haven't seen that demonstrated through the church. In fact, they've seen the opposite. And so whenever we come, whenever we come with, this, with this type of language, when we come with this presentation of who we truly believe Jesus has revealed himself to be, full of goodness, full of kindness, full of generosity, full of grace, and full of forgiveness, we're finding that there's a mistrust of that because they've been told something else for so long. His nature and his character has been misrepresented for so long. There's just this mistrust that needs to be broken. And I believe that we can break it. I believe that, that as, we, as we begin to think differently, 
it inevitably impacts how we act. What you begin to think, what begins to go through your mind, how you begin to process inevitably impacts the, your behaviors, what you do. And so as we begin to think like this, that's how we begin to act. We begin to act loving. We begin to act with that same kingdom mandate that he came with and, and entrusted us with before he left. And so we come, we enter these, these moments carrying that love, offering that goodness and offering that kindness, offering that friendship, not just being friendly, but being a friend. If your, your Bibles are open, might just, just flick back a few chapter, a few uh, books to Matthew, Matthew chapter 9. Um, Jesus went on from there, reading from verse 9. He saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many, many tax tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. It is our mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. See, the idea of hospitality and the idea of, of, uh, of sharing a meal is littered right from the Old Testament right into the New. And so in this, in this culture, to eat with someone was to identify with them. And I know that that's still, I know that there's still a part of us that, that thinks like that today, but I don't think it's that prevalent. It was hugely, it was hugely significant in the days of Jesus that to eat with someone was to identify with them. That's what I love about a baptism service. That's what I loved about last Sunday night with Josh and Seth. That when, in, when Matthew chapter 3 says that Jesus went down to be baptized by John, even though he was without sin, even though he, he had nothing to put to death, he still went because he so came to identify with us. He so came to share in our humanity that he would do that. And this is what he did. This is what he did the whole way through his life. From that, from that moment of incarnation, from the baptism, and from how he lived, he identified with the tax collectors and he identified with the sinners. And there's always a wrestle that takes place in me because Jesus, is, Jesus had just got to that place where he just was not, he was not worried about his reputation. He was not worried that sometimes we can be if we, if we uh, stamp down hard enough on the, if we stamp others down, it props up our own image and our own goodness and our own piety sometimes. But Jesus wasn't worried about reputation. He wasn't interested in propping up his own image by putting others down. He was just so different, wasn't he? He was just so different. He was so countercultural, and he was so wonderful. And, and so how he lived showed. See, it's one thing, to, it's one thing to, to say all the things that he said, but to watch him live it out. He showed by how he lived that he did not even condemn the worst of sinners. And that's what, that was one of the verses that we started out this, this, whole, uh, this whole conversation with, was that we're so familiar with John 3 verse 16 that we sometimes forget 
that there is a verse 17 of John chapter 3 and that Jesus came not to condemn the world but that the world would be saved through him. And so how he lived his life and the reason for him coming was not, was not to condemn. And he showed that he did not condemn even the worst of sinners. And so we're just going to go to one more place. I know that, I know that I've taken up time, but please be gracious with me for a moment. Because I want, I want to, there's two other things that I have, but I'm not going to do the second one. So is that all right? that many people would have thought, many people would have thought of tax collectors as the worst type of sinner. These were, these were cheats. These were manipulators. They were coercive. They were just not pleasant men. And they were, they were viewed upon with great disdain. And many would have thought of the tax collectors as the worst type of sinners. So let me read this uh, Let me read Luke chapter 19, the story of Zacchaeus, and then then I'll wrap it up. Jesus entered Jericho, was passing through, and there was a man named Zacchaeus. And he was, not only was a tax collector, but he was a chief tax collector. He was extra hated. And he was wealthy, and he wanted to see who Jesus was, but he was short. So because of the crowd, he ran ahead, climbed a sycamore tree, Um, since Jesus was coming that way. Verse 5, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him. And all the people saw this, and they began to mutter, as they had done the whole way through Jesus' life, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, I now am giving half of my possessions to the poor, And where I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said, today salvation has come to this house. Because this man too is a son of Abraham. And this son of man came to seek and to save what was lost. This love that Jesus is still bringing sons and daughters home. But I was just struck by the case. In all his, he was a wealthy man and he was despised. He was still a human. He was still a person. And I think Jesus just operates in a way that is so intriguing. I have to think to myself, what is, what is going through Zacchaeus' mind in this moment? As he's called down from the, from this tree, because this man that everybody's been talking about wants to spend some time with him. And I, and I don't know what's going on within Zacchaeus, but I'm sure there must have been those questions. Doesn't he know who I am? What are these? What will what those followers think of him when he comes to my house? Does Jesus know how I even paid for this house? Does Jesus even know how what I did to, to pay for the furniture that he's sitting on? And so I found myself over the last couple of days as I thought of Zacchaeus, what, what was it that changed? What was it that caused Zacchaeus in a moment to stand up and say, to repent? 
to like to fully turn 180 degrees to, from the life that he'd lived to actually restore and pay back more than what it was that he'd even stolen. What was it? What was it that changed? And I'm so convinced. I know that there's times where you can come to Scripture and you can, you can come with an idea and try to fit it into your idea. And I hope that I'm not doing that. I really don't want to do that. But I think what changed was not a religious duty. I don't think that's what was going on. I don't think this was some religious duty that Jesus had informed him of all the, of all the rules and all the laws. So now this is what you're going to have to, what you're going to, have to do, Zacchaeus. I don't think it was a religious duty. I don't even think it was because it was of a biblical principle. I actually believe it was just because he had encountered Jesus, because he had encountered the goodness and the kindness and the forgiveness of Jesus, the friendship of Jesus, the identifying with Jesus over the table that caused the change, that caused the revelation, that caused the, the viewing of people differently than he had before he had encountered Jesus. And I, and I um, so believe that there's something happens, there's something shifts when we encounter his goodness, when we encounter his kindness and his forgiveness. And so that's my, my, I find myself praying that for me. God, those places where I struggle to give away your goodness or to give away your kindness and to give away your forgiveness, is it because that I haven't fully experienced it? Is it because I need to experience it once again? And I think that's where I find myself at times because because there's nothing, there's nothing that causes me to want to give it away whenever I encounter it for myself. Jesus, I think he would say to us all, and I would think he would say to Rich Hill, I am not your accuser. I am your friend. And I think we need to know that. I think we need to know that for ourselves. He is not your accuser. He is your friend. And I think as you spend time with family, as you spend time with people that... That, that maybe could potentially tarnish your reputation. Maybe nobody else will spend time with them people. But actually, as you go into those moments, you get into those environments, you go with that idea that you're not going to be their accuser, you're going to be their friend. Because I think that's what Jesus lived out. I think that's what Jesus exemplified beautifully and wonderfully. And all that, all that the Father made known to Jesus, he is letting us in on that. He is including us in that because he doesn't want the master-servant relationship. He wants the friendship. He wants to do this as friends. He wants to, he wants to take this community, doing it together, partnering with him. This was I finished the question that I've been, have I been asking myself in my quiet place as being, Father, where and how can I partner with the Holy Spirit to glorify Jesus? And he is, uh, he is including us in that. I, 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 know I, I know I keep on saying it, but I feel like I've just, I feel like I'm, I'm only getting it now myself. I've written it down here on paper, but I feel like I've just, I'm just sort of grabbing it as I'm going. And so I end up just saying it over and over again if I don't stop. So, Father, thank you for this time. As we, as we just finish with this last song, um, we just ask that you would come and you would bless us. You would seal something in our hearts. You would challenge something deep within us. In Jesus' name, amen. I, I, I'm so sorry that it went on.